Outside the Box. Hello and welcome to September's Outside the Box. I am joined, as ever, by Jen Offord. Hello, hello. Jen, I drove past a place called Offord the other day. Do you know, did you know it existed? Did you, in fact, drive past a place called Orford? It was very dark. I was exceptionally <laughs> tired. And I was on a 40-mile detour because the road was closed. So, yes, it is possible. But I thought it said Offord. It was near St. Neats. There is a place called Orford. Orford Ness, possibly. And there's a castle there. Orford Castle. I think it's in Suffolk. No, no, no. This was an entirely different place. I think this place was called Offord. Oh, fucking hell. I'm going to Google that later. <laughs> and also Mickey Noonan. Mick, I've driven past nothing called Noonan recently, I'm afraid. Well... This is very unfair. I can sense favouritism and I'm upset. Uh, you could maybe go find some gangsters in Manchester or yeah. a, a lot of my family in Liverpool. Okie dokie. So I'm going to start with some news. I'm going to take my coat off because it's making a noise. Big news. This is exciting news. No one was <laughs> yeah. expecting that. Um, if you listen to this week's pod scene, Hannah is actually wearing four coats at the moment. So uh, <laughs> there might be more news as the podcast progresses. Okay, so first up, this is something that I actually missed earlier in the year. I think this was announced in July, but just for those who don't know, Gentleman Jack has been cancelled by HBO. There will not be another series of it. Oh, no. I mean, I didn't watch it, and yet I'm still sad. I thought it was fantastic, as you know. But also, I think as we talked about on here, BBC made a documentary about it, about middle-aged women coming out after seeing Gentleman Jack. People asked the question... Why do we need more LGBT stuff on the telly? And, you know, there was your answer. Literally, women who had suspected they might be gay but were too scared to say it their whole lives coming out and saying it. Do you think it's been cancelled in a moral panic, Hannah? Moral panic in inverted commas. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was the pressure from those people who turn up at school board meetings in America standing outside HBO. But never mind. A couple of things that are on the horizon that I just wanted to talk about. The English... Not to be confused with This England, which I will come to. The English, which is by Hugo Blick, who I'm not actually a huge fan of. Did things like The Shadow Line and Black Earth Rising. Always gets really good people and he's got good people again. This is a Western, which is why I'm mentioning it. It's on Amazon and it starts on the 11th of November. Emily Blunt and Chask Spencer are on a perilous journey across the Western states of America, encountering... A number of people who all appear to be high quality actors, including Rafe Spall. And I will watch him in anything. And Toby Jones, who I will watch in anything. So I love that as the elevator pitch. They yeah. encounter a number of high quality actors. Yeah. <laughs> Even more exciting and actually having Western vibes. I sent you this the other day, Mickey. The Last of Us. Oh, it looks good, doesn't it? Which is coming soon and i say that it's 2023 but you know just gives us a lot of time to be excited written and produced by craig mason who wrote chernobyl starring pedro pascal and bella ramsey who people will probably recognize from game of thrones bella ramsey was so brilliant as little lyanna mormon she was about 10 she was incredible in it also anna torv nick offerman i mean big yes please plus your favorite Murray Bartlett. Oh, I'm so excited to see him in something. And Melanie Linsky. Yeah, so that's coming in 2023. Coming a bit sooner, talking of Murray Bartlett, White Lotus Series 2. But he won't be in it. He won't be in it, but, 
you know, you can remember him. Obviously, it's because it's an anthology. I do, Hannah, I do. <laughs> Obviously, because it's an anthology series, entirely new cast. Ah, interesting. Though that said, I did hear a rumour, and I haven't seen this written anywhere, but I did hear a rumour that perhaps Jennifer Coolidge is in it again. Perhaps she's going to be oh, the link. It's just all her holidays. <laughs> that that bit where she's in the water scattering her mum's ashes. <laughs> what a delight. Now to some things that are actually already on, but a bit too soon for us to talk about. Now, this England, which we're recording this on Wednesday, people will be hearing it on Friday. It actually starts today on Sky. I think all of them are online if you're a Now and a Sky customer. Written by Michael Winterbottom. Was supposed to be directed by him, but he was actually unwell and somebody else had to take over directing, but it has Michael Winterbottom written all over it. Initially quite famous because those pictures emerged of Kenneth Branagh playing a real uncanny valley version of Boris Johnson. Actually, Mm. I have watched two episodes of it. That look doesn't necessarily work as well in movement as it does (laughs) in stationary in a photograph. However, what I will say is it is absolutely fucking fantastic. Like genuinely, I've only seen two episodes of it and it is already brilliant. I tweeted this morning that it was the angriest Michael Winterbottom's been since he made Welcome to Sarajevo. And it is just an absolutely furious docudrama about what happened in the opening four or five months of the pandemic. I don't know about you necessarily, Jen, but Mickey, you will love it. So watch it and we can talk about it next time. Because I'm not sure that I need to see Boris Johnson at the moment, given everything that's going on in the cabinet and the government. But if, uh, you know, a Hannah recommendation. I heard... um, some Michael Winterbottom. I heard the woman who plays, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name, who plays Carrie... Olivia Lovebond. Yes. um, Yeah, I asked for an interview and I didn't get it. She obviously gave it to those people. She was on Women's Hour this week and I heard a little snippet of of the interview on Instagram this morning. And apparently a lot of people have been saying, oh, is it too soon? Is it too soon? And she sort of argued, mm. well, actually, like a lot of stuff gets lost if you don't kind of do it quickly and you forget a lot of the stuff that, that happened. And she said she'd sort of forgotten the, I think she said, rapidity of it all, like how quickly everything happened. And she kind of made the case that actually you kind of, if you leave it too long, you lose some of it, which I thought was interesting. So I'd be very interested to watch it. And also because it's done like one day after another, the simultaneous nature of certain things becomes even clearer and becomes even more annoying (laughs) and even more upsetting. Not to talk about it too much, because like I say, we'll talk about it next time. We will also next time be talking about Ghosts. New series started on Friday, so it'll be the second episode tonight when you're listening. Mickey and I have seen it all because it is is on the iPlayer and other people are likely to have seen it all because it is on the iPlayer. However, the lovely Ben Wilbond put a special tweet out that said, please, please don't talk about what happens in my episode until it's aired on television. So I'd like to respect that. Okay. Can I say I love ghosts? I love it with all my Uh heart. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Now, another sitcom I love with my heart and I made Mickey watch. So Mickey will be rounding this off i talked about the early four episodes of it you can talk about the series as a whole only murders in the building 
Yeah, yeah. So every time Hannah mentioned only murders in the building, which was a lot, constant, (laughs) constant references, I was gripped by an intense Steve Martin and Martin Shaw envy. I wanted them in my eyes. But what I didn't have was Disney+. Plus. But it turns out, and this might be uh, information that's useful to people, you can just have it for a month for a one-off eight quid. And Hannah had raved so hard about only murders in the building that it seemed worth it. So, big question. Does Hannah owe me eight quid? No, of course not. This is utterly charming, funny, clever telly with an utterly charming, funny, clever cast. And I fucking loved it. So, our heroes are a true crime podcast-loving trio. Steve Martin as Charles Hayden Savage, Martin Shaw as Oliver Putman, and Selena Gomez as a fucking revelation. And also Mabel Mora. All based in the swanky Arconia apartment block in New York City, who find themselves starting a true crime podcast to solve a murder in the building in season one, then continuing that podcast to absolve themselves from a murder in season two. It's really canny in that you'll love it if you're a fan of true crime podcasts and you'll also love it if you're sick to the back teeth of them because our main trio are just glorious together. It's a lot about friendship and knowing people and getting to know people and making new friends as you get older. And the chemistry is incredible, which you would, you know, expect Mm. with Martin and Short, which is really weird to say because Steve Martin and Martin Short, but you know who I'm talking about. Steve Martin Short. Steve Martin Short or Leslie Nielsen, as Gary kept referring to Steve Martin. I'm like... (laughs) It's not Leslie Nielsen. But the addition of Gomez is an utter delight and it leads to plenty of young old confusion. What are the youth doing? What are the old people thinking? Which might sound really corny, but just just never is. It really works. It is warm and it's gentle and it's generous and it genuinely made me belly laugh lots of times. Yes, please, to season three. Great. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Yosra. Thank you both. I absolutely love it. And for me, I like Steve Martin, but I don't necessarily have as much nostalgia for stuff like The Jerk as maybe some other people my age do. However, Mm. I do fucking love Martin Shaw and he is just perfect. I do love the Oliver Putman character and he's amazing and he's he's a stage director and all that comes with that and, you know, all the cliches, but Martin Short makes them a character rather than it all just being two-dimensional. It's incredible. But yeah, Charles Hayden Savage is my favourite. I love Steve Martin's character. I am quite a big Steve Martin fan. His turn as a sadistic dentist in Little Shop of Horrors is just, oh, it's just a thing of joy. Mm. And I loved all of the sketches and stuff he did. I think he was very, very clever. I also love that he's looked the same age for at least 112 years now. (laughs) I said to Gary, how old do you reckon Steve Martin is? And he went, 107? And I was like, oh, he's 78 now. And he was like, oh, but it feels like he was 78 when I was a kid. And I was like, it's a silver hair, you bastard. That's what it is. He's going to retire after Only Murders in the Building. He's got to make at least another 12 seasons. Well, I mean, they haven't said how many series they are going to make, but he said this is all he's going to make from now on and then it'll be done. Which is fair enough, he's 78. Yeah. I love that when you see the titles go up, and the titles are always really lovely, they they reflect something that's happened in the episode before or something that's going to happen in that episode, which is really fun. But the producers, the exec producers, are Short, Steve Martin 
and Selena Gomez. And I, I just loved that she saw that this was going to be great for her. I, I knew she was famous. I didn't you, even I know what told she was you famous for. for. Exactly that. Exactly. I didn't Gomez. know if she was a singer or an actor or a dancer or what she was. She was all of no the idea. above. She's she quite was, famous. But she was Disney. Mm. Yeah, we knew that, but I didn't know what she for. She went out with Justin Bieber for a period of time, which is one of the things she is I also knew most that. well known for, sadly. But yeah, uh, I think a bit of everything, singing, dancing acting all of the above mm. but she's so good in this and she's just such good ballast to the silliness really of yeah uh steve martin shorts <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think she's quite canny as well i think i read somewhere that she's pretty wealthy because she's invested money in like startups that turned out to be good you know i think she's quite canny i think that's kind of the point i was making mm, with yeah, how so pleased i was to see her as exec producer yeah, yeah. of course she is yeah Right, now I've got something that logically comes next and so have you, so let's have a logic off. I've got something that's about a murder. What have you got? I've got something that is about a true crime podcast. Oh, okay, you go first and then I'll go second. And a murder. Wow. (laughs) I've started watching an ITV drama. I know. Sew me some pockets and call me Jen. (laughs) Karen Pirrie is about, and you will perhaps sense a theme that Hannah's just hinted at with my viewing this month, a true crime podcast or certainly the ramifications of a true crime podcast. So if you think Unforgotten meets West Cork, because a pesky woke millennial who's found a microphone is investigating the unsolved murder of teenager Rosie Duff in St. Andrews 25 years ago, causing the police to reopen the investigation into the unsolved murder of teenager Rosie Duff in St. Andrews 25 years ago. So there are two reasons I decided to venture onto ITV, and that is one, Sarah Phelps recommended it, and two, it's an adaptation of a Val McDermott bestseller, The Distant Echo. Mm. Mm. Two brilliant women. Yes, please. So I'm one out of three two-hour episodes in. So the episodes are all two hours long. Oh, I hate it when they do Oh, that. I loved it. I got really into it. And yeah, so far I'm not disappointed. But obviously there's still four hours of this to go. Yeah, you know, no surprises. The victim is a young woman. But so refreshingly, she is not found naked. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> very low bar, but you have crossed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have, they've managed to step over it rather than limbo under it, like yeah. so many other police procedurals. The young woman podcaster Belle, played by Raki Thakra, is posh and irritating and uh, therefore not representative of podcasters. Thank you very much. <laughs> but she is asking feminist questions, such as why was there so much victim blaming around Rosie's murder? And was the fact that she wasn't a perfect victim in inverted commas in that she had a sex life, she did stuff that was maybe not what people would expect of a perfect victim. The reason the police didn't investigate more thoroughly at the time. Enter young female detective sergeant Karen Pirry, played with guts and gusto by Lauren Lyle, brought in for the optics, but more than up to the case. Is she a maverick? No. Is she tortured <laughs> by inner demons? Also, no. Is she hardworking, funny and flawed as the next human? Yes. Yeah, she's cracking. Episode one has raised a lot of questions about what Rosie was doing the night she was murdered, what connection there is to three St. Andrew's students who found her dying in the cathedral graveyard, and the fine line between hindrance and help trodden by amateur detectives. I'm very excited to find out the answers. Can I just say... Raki Thakra, who I believe wrote something for us when we were an online magazine, she did. Uh, and was a she was in 
EastEnders for a period of time, which I think is why she wrote the article, because it's about a storyline that she'd covered on EastEnders, if I remember correctly. I think she's a really good actress. I have really enjoyed seeing her in a variety of things post-EastEnders, but she was brilliant in EastEnders as well. So Yeah, she's very good in this. She does that. She, I mean, she is irritating and you're like, oh, and Karen Piri actually has to leave the room and leave it to her underling. And he's like, she's a fucking podcasters. <laughs> no, he says, why are you leaving me with her? And she goes, because I will kill her. <laughs> <laughs> right. OK, so last thing then that links into this is I watched a documentary series on Sky called Mind Over Murder. Terrible name. Why did I watch it? Given that I don't like true crime documentaries. Or the name. It's got a terrible <laughs> name. Well, it's directed by a woman, Nanfu Wang, and I saw quite a lot of absolutely like dazzling reviews of it, and it's picked up awards. So I thought, well, you know, if someone's not going to fuck up a true crime documentary, maybe it's a woman. So mm. it tells the story of the Beatrice Six. It's a famous miscarriage of justice in middle America, very, very small town called Beatrice, spelled Beatrice. I don't know why I told you that, but just in case you think that suddenly you read about it and you think, fucking hell, she's developed a really, really weird way of talking. (laughs) It's about the murder of a grandmother and the effect it has on the community. And it's about, you know, how six people ended up in jail for it. And guess what? They didn't do it. So what makes it a brilliant documentary is the framing of it. And the interesting thing about the framing of it is at the start, you're like, what is this? So it's about a small theatre company that decides to put on an am-dram play about the case. In like Zakimbo. So it happened, right? Well, I mean, for a start, it, you know, you have all of these. They talk to the actors as it goes along and they're, they're in the rehearsals for the play and it all seems like a bit of a distraction. Much as I love theatre, you'd think, I can't quite understand why she's framing it in this way. And then the longer it goes on and the more you realise that this community is just savagely divided now about whether or not these people did these murders, it becomes more and more clear. And the last episode is entirely about the staging of this verbatim play about how these six people ended up in jail. And it is incredible. I don't know what it says about me, that it doesn't make me cry that an old lady gets murdered and it doesn't make me cry that six people go to jail, but that theatre can change the minds of people in a town that is so solidly against something or for something is the most incredibly moving thing to say. I can't tell you, it was amazing. So it's, it is a true crime, but it is also a love letter to verbatim theatre. And as a big fan of verbatim theatre, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. It's really amping up the drama aspect mm. of true crime drama. Yeah. Yeah. And I think anything at the moment that is a powerful ode to why the arts are so fucking important, Mm -hmm. you know, get it in my eyes. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Because you and I went to see an absolutely banging verbatim play, didn't we? Um, What was it called? About the paedophiles. America is hard to see. Yeah, up in Edinburgh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was, it's it's hardcore. And I think knowing it's verbatim, adds a, a whole different level mm. to something. I saw an amazing one about Rwanda a long time ago, which was just incredible as well. Yes. So, shall we go to something a bit less niche? All right, if you want. Okay, <laughs> sure. House of the Dragon. 
So, I mean, that's like the opposite of niche. I specifically said that I wasn't going to watch this. And then I thought, you know what? I get paid money to review television and it would be a bit churlish to ignore, you know, this enormous series that's arrived. So it's on Sky, obviously, for those who don't know, but I can't imagine who that is. It's a prequel to Game of Thrones. Now, a couple of years ago, it was announced that Jane Goldman was doing a prequel to Game of Thrones and that she would actually become the first female showrunner for HBO. I actually, we discussed this in a conversation with Sally Wainwright and Sally Wainwright pointed out that actually she was the Mm. first woman to showrun an HBO series. (laughs) So, you know, the publicity they put out surrounding Jane Goldman was actually incorrect. I think they would probably technically have said, oh, well, it was a BBC HBO like co-drama or something. Yeah, yeah. This isn't it. Jane Goldman's one wasn't picked up, which none of this is relevant except just just imagine that's the mood around this. They had an opportunity to let a woman run it. They went with someone else. So this is written and, and run by G.R.R. Martin, who, who wrote it. If you're going to employ a man, I suppose the man who wrote it would be a good start. And someone called Ryan Condal, who I, I, I don't know. It's very much part of a franchise. It has the same theme tune. As Game of Thrones. As Game of Thrones, yeah. So I've mm. seen a lot of people criticise criticism of it, if that makes sense, by saying, stop comparing it to Game of Thrones. It's not Game of Thrones. So I'm like, well, hang on. It has the same it theme thinks tune. It, so it, it yeah. thinks it's Game of Thrones. Why I didn't necessarily want to watch it was because... It's about the Targaryens, and as far as I'm aware, they're the least interesting. I know they're the ones with the dragons, but that's not what I liked Game of Thrones for. I actually think that, you know, if if they're basically just extensions of her personality, which is like people who are self-important, possibly mad, and possibly incestuous, you know, I didn't really sit want to sit down and watch I it. I think definitely incestuous, Anna. I think yeah. that's been established. Anyway got Paddy Considine in it. Paddy Considine is great. He has a very silly wig on. And that's the other thing about the, the Targaryens. <laughs> They've all got really blonde hair, so everyone is wearing a very silly wig. And the later women in it, because there are a series of, of characters, I think it's already covered about 15 years in six episodes, so it moves very quickly. So they've got rid of the younger actors and the later actresses are really just, I don't know, there's something about the way they're dressed that seems... Or their style that seems vaguely ludicrous to me. I just can't can't put my finger on what it is. But it's something to do with those stupid wigs. And it really is. It's set 200 years before. So there's none of the same sort of characters in it or anything. But, you know, I wonder why they want, you know, they, they want to do this other than make money. But have they learned any lessons from making Game of Thrones? But it's not the same people as Game of Thrones. So there's a couple of really big sort of scandals involving Game of Thrones, one of which was the rape of Sansa, one of which was the the rape of Cersei, that actually affected the way the rest of Game of Thrones went on to sort of be written. Have they learned these lessons? I don't know, there's less sex in it, but it's still a bit like, yes, you can have powerful women, great, have powerful women, but then don't also treat women like fuck meat. There is less of the fuck meat stuff, mm. but it still exists. I suppose that's quite reflective of real life yeah. in some ways. It's got way, way more budget. So it's got big battle scenes early. I don't know if you remember from the early Game of Thrones, like there there was never the wars. There was always before the war and after the war. They didn't have Mm -hmm. the budget at the start. And this has got budget straight away. But the weird thing is, and there is like a really good fight scene where basically Matt Smith storms a beach, like a one man saving Private Ryan. 
And actually, if you watch the whole thing, you can see loads of other films in it. It's got, it lifts stuff out of Black Hawk Down. It's got loads of other stuff going on in it. But it just feels really empty because we're only four episodes in. I don't give a fuck. I don't really know who these people are. At least Game of Thrones built to its big battles. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Whereas this is... And it's really small. It's focused around one family. And the joy of Game of Thrones was it was it was set across two continents. So ultimately, it feels really hollow. Like there isn't much to it. I mean, Millie Alcock, who is now gone, she was fucking great in it. I thought she was 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 really great. But it started to feel a bit 80s. It started to feel like a soap opera. But my biggest complaint is it's not funny. And Game of Thrones was hilarious. And it is not funny. So I don't know what it's for. I have two things to add, having not seen it. And with the caveat that I've read all of the Game of Thrones books, uh, but have only seen the series up to series season three. But I know what happens because I used to edit Hannah's blogs about it, which were excellent. I have seen two things on the internet that have made me chuckle. One was a very interesting piece by our friend Kat Rosenfeld about whether Me Too the Me Too movement had destroyed House of Dragons before it could even get going. Referring right. to what you just mentioned, Hannah, about how certain scenes got a reaction when it was in Game of Thrones mm. and changed the writing of it. And the other thing is on a forum I'm in where a lot of women are posting that this is the first time they fancied Matt Smith and I'm baffled. I don't know what he looks like in it. Uh, a wizard. <laughs> he's a he's a strong look, isn't he? He's like Benedict Cumberbatch. You you either do or you don't, and and mm. and I don't. But he does have a silly wig on, and also he has he, hair like mine, uh, Jen. He has long silver hair. I need to Google this immediately. <laughs> but also, he's really interested in fucking his niece. So I mean. Is that not sexy? No, that's not no. sexy. Let's just see if Jen slides off a chair when she sees an image. Matt Smith. House of the Dragon. I mean, he did, like, take out a thousand people by himself, like, in a one-man Saving Private Ryan. But... Sweet Jesus. (laughs) Is this where the bleached eyebrow (laughs) trends come from? Oh, I can't tell whether Jen's aroused or upset. I'm I'm not aroused. One last thing to say. People are complaining that Millie Alcott was the best thing in it and she's now left. And all I would say is, if that's you, watch Upright, because it's amazing. Oh, it's so good. When is that doing its second season? Do I don't know. Because do you remember when somebody put a thing out saying it was out and we got or, in January excited. and we got excited and it turned out to be a mistake? Oh. Yeah. Okay, one last thing before we take a break. Amazon has a Lord of the Rings prequel, which is called The Rings of Power. And apparently... Haven't we been through <laughs> enough? Have some new ideas, writers. Apparently, <laughs> when the five seasons are done because I think there are going to be five seasons, it will have cost a billion pounds to make, which will have made it the most expensive television program series oh. ever made. Isn't the Lord of Rings prequel The Hobbit? No, it's a, it's a prequel, you know, from back in the day. Oh, back in the day. And okay. I made it through. Again, I thought it would be churlish as a TV reviewer not to watch the most expensive television program ever made. I made it about 25 minutes through and I just thought, I can't be fucked. Like, this is a whole <laughs> new universe. I'm going to have to learn. Yeah, I need a fucking map. I talked to this about Samira Ahmed. I don't need to have to be Googling where is somewhere that's not even a real place <laughs> when I'm watching <laughs> something on television. I, In fairness to Tolkien, he did put maps in his books. I saw a lot of online talk about the casting of Lenny Henry that appeared to be mostly racist. And I saw about 
maybe well one scene of him and I thought he was great and he was probably be the only thing that would have made me carry on watching it but I just thought it, it, it again it rang really hollow it feels a bit twilight there's just something about it and by twilight I mean you know the dialogue is a bit shit yeah so I didn't watch any more of it maybe in minute 23 it got amazing but <laughs> it's not for me is all I'm gonna say Lenny Henry is an absolutely cracking actor. Yeah. I saw him at the what was then the West Yorkshire Playhouse and now I think he's just called the Leeds Playhouse as Othello and it was his first stage um, performance and he was absolutely awesome. Yeah, agreed. We, I sat next to him once in the theatre as well. With you, in fact. Oh, yeah. When we went to see Julie Hesman House. Hesman House, House. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, just say something. And I didn't. Anyway, let's take a break and I can think about why I didn't say anything to Lenny Henry when I had the chance. I've got to be honest with you, he stole my chocolate raisins. I think he accidentally stole them, but I shared them with him and then he put them in his pocket before he left the interview. Well, now I wish I'd said raisin thief and then just walked <laughs> off. I'm sure he would remember our interaction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, welcome back. We've been mostly on the paid channels in the first half so let's talk about the bbc two bits of news for me to say at the top number one only connect is back i love only connect and number two our pal jade adams is apparently in strictly she is she is covered in sparkles and looking fantastic and interestingly in a same-sex couple despite being a heterosexual woman well, the reason was twofold. The reason was, one, that she says she is too big for a male dance partner to, like, do the lifts mm-hmm. with. And uh, whereas she will be able to lift her partner easily and chuck her around, I think is what, what she said. <laughs> and also because she comes from a dance background and she used to dance competitively with her sister when she was right. younger. And she said it's completely normal in that industry in in those worlds to dance in same-sex couples so she just didn't see anything weird yeah, about it cool so that's why she's doing it so good good for her absolutely yeah it used to happen all the time you know like during the war but women just dance with women all the time old ladies you know less less yeah. little old men to go around okay jen you talked about shetland in the last one tell us about how it ended Jen, Jen's wearing knitwear to go with what she's about to talk about. I'm wearing my my house cardigan. It's uh, <laughs> it's my cardigan I like to wear about the house. It's very chilly. I can't afford to turn the heating on. So, anyway, that which seems apt because we're off to the Shetland Islands, where I imagine <laughs> it is quite cold. Series seven of Shetland. It's Douglas Henschel's last as Di Jimmy Perez. That was announced before the series started. So we already knew that he wasn't going to be coming back at the end of this series, but we didn't know what the circumstances of that would be. We start the series and Perez is facing disciplinary action and an enforced break from being D.I. Jimmy Perez after becoming involved in quite a long-winded situation in at the end of series six when his buddy Duncan was embroiled in the assisted suicide of previous series baddie Donna Killick, a lady with a grudge against him and Perez, who's basically set them up. 
Duncan's now in prison and Perez somehow gets away with it. I'm not really sure how because he has quite clearly covered up the fact that his friend has assisted the death of this woman. But anyway, he's back at work. Great. Good for us because we like him, right? (laughs) So his first case back Mm. is the disappearance of local teenager Connor Kearns, who literally anything could have happened to and indeed any number of possibilities are put forwards before it takes quite an off-piste environmental activism pivot. That was really hard to say. (laughs) Pivot? Pivot, indeed. But what of our hero, Perez? Will he be blown up on the side of a cliff or will he just decide this business isn't really for him anymore? You can probably tell from what I've said. It is, in fact, the latter. I liked it. I I really do like Shetland a lot. I think it's, it's gritty enough without being, like, horrendous for someone who's a bit squeamish or just someone who doesn't like seeing naked dead ladies all over the place so it's it's gritty enough without being too much Perez and his team are extremely likeable it's quite gentle as cop dramas go and I really love Henschel in it I'm gutted he's left I, I really am and I don't think that the talent in it elsewhere is necessarily wall to wall shall we say mm-hmm. so I'm not sure what's to become of it without him. It's a bit like the um, Nicola Walker one. Unforgotten. Mm. It's mm. a bit like that. I, I don't know. Obviously, that's got Sanjeev Bhaskar in it, so he's great. But I don't know what will happen without her as that kind of like really central character. I kind of feel the same about this. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to feel about Series 8. I wonder if they should have just left it. Interesting. I think Sanjeev Bhaskar is amazing in Unforgotten, but I do see where you're coming from because she's just the linchpin, isn't she? Well, she was. Mm. I've got a can't believe you made me think about that again. Oh, God. But I think when you take a central, when you've got like a central character who is like literally the thing that the whole thing hangs off, the linchpin, as you say, which is a a, a more articulate and, uh, you know, a better way of putting it. I, I do think when you remove it, I kind of wonder what the point is because this is the character that I've really invested in. Mm. So am I that invested in the others? I don't know that I agree. I don't know that I agree with Unforgotten because I think Unforgotten is really different to other crime dramas whereas I don't think that Shetland, from what I saw, is especially different from other crime dramas. So it has a different USP So I think perhaps more people watch it for the USP, for the fact that they know that this is going to be handled unbelievably sensitively. It's going to cover a difficult topic well, whereas a lot of crime dramas, and I'm not saying Shetland does or doesn't, but, you know, it's different, isn't it? You both looking a bit baffled. Am I not making any sense? (laughs) um, You're making sense. I don't know that I Mm. agree with you on Unforgotten. I think I, like, Nicola, what you said about it is absolutely correct uh, and it's so beautifully written but she was a huge draw for me. That said, I will absolutely watch the next season uh, and hopefully... It's uh, Sinead Keegan, isn't it? I don't know. That's taken over. I don't know. If you say so, then yes. It is. To be honest, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of her especially although she was really good in that jeff pope thing about the, um, the little kid that was shot in liverpool it, it had Jones. steve um stephen graham in it didn't it yeah yeah that's why i watched it yeah of course yeah. <laughs> otherwise why would you have watched that hannah it would have made no sense to me at all funny you should say that that leads me to my next uh thing so the capture i don't know if you remember this 
I watched the first series. I didn't really like it. But I think I watched it because there was literally nothing on. And we needed nothing else on and we needed something to talk about. It's got Holiday Granger in it and Ron Perlman. Oh, the the, the Hulk but red. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mary. I didn't really like it because it's about tech. It's, it doesn't really interest me and, to be honest, creeps me out. So it's about things like deep fake photographs and deep fake type Terrifying. videos and things. And like the CIA and all of this sort of swish stuff that I'm not really... If I'm going to watch something about spying and that sort of stuff, I I need it to be set in the 1970s. I have no interest <laughs> in it now. <laughs> so why would I possibly go back and watch Series 2? Well, because Series 2 stars Papa Esiodou, who we have long established here, I love. And a bit like Stephen Graham, I'm going to watch it because he's he is excellent. It. Right. Yeah, I watched three episodes that were made available on the preview service and then I just haven't bothered to watch it on the Uh, telly, which I think indicates how I feel about it. He is great. Holiday Granger, I mean, she's doing an okay job. I actually think she's a good actress, but I don't know. There's something about the way she's directed and also it's a real nothing role. I mean, she's, as in, there's no depth to her character. It's just, I am this policewoman doing this thing and all technology and it's all drama, but no depth sort of superficial drama I don't it it doesn't really do it for me it has got a lot of good people in it joining the series Succession's Robbie Yang Happy Valley's Charlie Murphy Unforgotten talking about that Andy Nyman's in this one Indira Varma who's always great is in this one just wasn't for me fair enough Mickey have you been watching Attenborough on the Beeb fresh Sir David Attenborough get it into my eyes <laughs> and fair dues 11 years on since Frozen Planet 1 the latest Attenborough narrated foray into the natural world Frozen Planet 2 is relentlessly awesome <laughs> with breathtaking drone shots mm. incredible predators and scenes of nature at its cruelest uh, and also at its most wondrous There are hungry pandas, parenting penguins, playful polar bears, chilli monkeys and grumpy as fuck palace cats. There are golden eagles preying on mountain goats five times their weight. There are killer whales, or as I'm renaming them, nature's dicks. And there are seals. (laughs) Utterly adorable. And apparently everyone else's favourite dinner. Oh, the poor seals. And there is, as is now inevitable with Attenborough, a call to arms as he is now 96 and channeling all of his hope and desperation into each episode. He says Frozen Planet 2 allows us to, quote, witness new wonders while there is still time to save them. Because that time is fast running out and this series pulls no punches when it comes to reminding the viewer that we, as a species, have massively fucked things up. There are loads of time-lapse videos filmed over three years which show just how rapidly the ice is melting, decreasing habitat, food and the chance of survival for these incredible creatures and raising global sea levels which in turn decreases habitat, food and the chance of survival for us humans which I'm not going to refer to as incredible creatures. We are in our way but man we have messed this up. Everything we have seen, says Attenborough, needs just one thing the planet to stop warming, which is up to us. And and that message is so, so important, but it, it makes... The nature programmes are obviously... They're amazing. I love them. I love the animals. I love the, the, the planet. I love the, the scenery. And they make you feel like a kid again, right? You're just like absolutely in awe of what nature can do when it can be so, so hard and so, so amazing. 
But this start message, it, it's so bleak. It's so bleak. I've watched three episodes because that's what's up at the moment uh, on the BBC at eight o'clock on a Sunday or they're on the iPlayer if you want to catch up. So I've watched all three that are available and there's not one that I've not cried at. And sometimes I'm crying because another fucking seal has been eaten by a, one of nature's dicks who has just made these waves happen to wash it off an iceberg uh, or an ice flow. And, but mostly oh, it's like... <laughs> they're like a... Herrero Rocher as fauna. <laughs> Everybody yeah. wants it. Just pyramids of seals. <laughs> just, <laughs> just an orca oh. going. Oh, ambassador with Run these seals, you have really spoiled us. Yeah, uh, killer whales are. Oh, they're awful, awful creatures. Very clever though. Just keeps making me cry. But it is amazing. Please watch it. I mean, if it Please. helps, Mickey, both Jen and I are sitting in freezing cold rooms and we don't have the heating on, so we're doing our bit. Well, me too. It's not like... You made it sound like you two were doing that and I'm just sat with eight fires behind me, burning seals. <laughs> no, I could just, just see Gary still peddling so that your uh, your power will stay on so we can record this. <laughs> peddling in his jockstrap because he's too hot because he's got the heat in full blast. <laughs> <laughs> Jen, to finish us off, uh, what have you been disgracing yourself by watching on ITV? <laughs> well... <laughs> It looked like it wouldn't be that awful, but well, anyway. It's the I've hope watching... that kills you, Jen. It's the it hope that, that kills you. <laughs> it was like one of the big things that everyone was talking about. It seemed like a reasonable thing to watch. It's got Aidan Turner in it, who is quite fit and also um, quite good, I think. To acting. continue the theme of Outside the Box this month, Hannah and I have seen him at the theatre. <laughs> yeah. Lucky you. Yeah. He's, yeah. yeah. Aidan Poldark Turner. He wears his shirt quite a lot. Does have a lovely beard in it, so with What's one hand called, Lord giveth and with the other <laughs> he takes it away. Sorry, the suspect is what we're watching, by the way. Now, he is the suspect, but it's complicated. It's another cop drama and um it's got obviously Aidan Polduck Turner as the central character, Joe O'Loughlin, who is a psychologist who has recently been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. The Parkinson's disease doesn't seem particularly relevant throughout I'm not going to lie to you but I believe it's based on a series of books and I presume that they want to flog that cash cow so perhaps the Parkinson's will become more relevant as mm. time goes on basically the only thing I could see in it that was relevant to it is he's diagnosed he's a bit upset and he went and he shagged a woman he shouldn't have shagged behind his wife's back so um that's the only relevance I can actually find anyway is that a symptom of Parkinson's I think I think he's he's really upset. What else was he to do, Mickey? Go home and talk to his wife? Absolutely not. Have I sex mean, that with would be woman. outrageous. Bingo. It seems anyway, the only way, yeah. Exactly. There's nothing else he could have done. It's a plot device, basically. She ends up dying. Oh, whatevs. It's, it's hard to focus on this because um, there's quite a lot going on in it. It's got various other people in it who are, like, all right, but... And yet. So it's got Sean Parks as... <laughs> His truly <laughs> awful detective nemesis, because I spent four fucking weeks shouting at the telly two things. The plumber's obviously dodgy, and <laughs> they're so bad at their jobs. Why? Was this randomly or during watching The Suspect, Jen? <laughs> it was frustrating how shit the detectives were at their jobs. I've not been this embarrassed for a TV detective since Steve Sloan. 
if you ever watched Diagnosis Murder. He's the detective, <laughs> and yet his dad, Dick Van Dyke, the doctor, saves every it like solves every fucking crime. Mm-hmm. It's embarrassing to watch. Anyway, Joe Lachlan, it, it someone's got a grudge against him. They set him up for killing a woman who gets found naked in a cemetery, but with some soil strategically placed over her, so it's not you know that bad. Yeah, there's loads of other people in it. There's a chronically underused Sean Clifford. There's Adam James, who I couldn't tell you anything he's been in, but he's very recognisable. You'd know him if you saw him. Bobby Schofield, who's recently in the um, Hillsborough drama on With ITV. Maxine yeah, I think it was just called Anne. Yeah, um, yeah. And Angelina Mahindra, Brona Woe, who I usually think is, is pretty good, Angela Griffiths, and Dermot Crowley, who you will remember possibly from Luther. He's like the big senior boss in Luther. And it does have quite a Luther-esque feel to it. In that, like, it's... Does he run around with his hands in his pockets? <laughs> doesn't, no. Um, his what? hands shake a bit, obviously, because he's got Parkinson's. But apart from that... Does he accidentally throw laptops at the wall? No, because he's a psychologist, so he's very gentle, actually. But obviously, <laughs> clearly, gentle, deeply actually. misunderstood, <laughs> and has a lovely beard, a really nice beard. So that's one thing going for it. Aiden Turner looks lovely with a big, full beard. Anyway, there's not a lot else I can say about this. Really, it's it's a bit fucking silly. I thought he looked a bit Brian Blessed in the promo stuff. I I saw. Oh no, because I would have sex with Aiden Turner, and I wouldn't have sex with Brian Blessed. Just. I want that on the record if you don't mind why you can't predict that no, i reckon he could not. woo you jen <laughs> get in my bedroom and take off your pants oh dear oh, God. if i wasn't attached by earphones i would do that <laughs> Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's an ITV drama. I suspect there's going to be more where this one came from. I'll, I'll probably watch it again because one needs something to watch, don't they? But I mean, I wouldn't recommend it if there's anything better available. <laughs> oh wowzers! I think that's a no for, for me and Hannah. Then mm-hmm. I I definitely wouldn't recommend it to either of you ever in a million years. I might recommend it to my friend Nicola. <laughs> Sorry, Don't Nicola. Don't watch that, Jen. Come over here and sit <laughs> on my face. <laughs> that seems as good a place as any to end. Uh... No, we're not going to end. We're not going to end because I have one more thing to say. If you do want to hear podcasts like this early and ad free, this one not so much early because I always have it at the last minute, but. Most of our other podcasts, early and ad-free, you can join our Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash standard issue. Don't forget that www. Join us, it's the future! (laughs) Outside the box.